In the first of a three-part sermon series, I want us to take a look at the exponential growth of the early church. I want us to see how God's plan provided in the midst of this growth community for that church, care, personal care, and spiritual growth, discipleship. There were thousands of people being added to this church overnight. And that's what we're going to talk about today, how God structured his church in the beginning to take care of the needs of his flock. Let's begin in the book of Romans chapter 12 and verse 5 today, the words of Paul. Paul is in prison writing to the Romans there. He says, in Christ, in Christ, those who are in Christ, we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. There are three very important words in that verse. You see them, body, member, and belong. The Christian life is not only to be a matter of believing, we know that, but the Christian life is also to emphasize the area of belonging and becoming. The Bible tells us that the church is a body. The church is a family. We are the members of that body. We are the members of that family. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about those of you who have stood on our stage and said we want to join the membership role of the bridge. When you became a Christian, look what Paul says in Romans 12, 5, in Christ. When you get into Christ, Christ into you through the new birth, you become right then a member of the only church you have to be a member of in order to see Jesus when this life is over. The word membership is a biblical word. Biblical membership means being connected. It's like your hand. It's a member of your body. A disconnected hand is going to die. A disconnected hand is going to shrivel up and life will be gone. To most people, when you say the word church, they think of a place to go or an event to attend. But Paul is emphasizing to us here that the church is a family to belong to. And it is a body to be a member of. Let's look at a couple of other scriptures. Paul also, in writing his letter to the church at Galatia, said in Galatians 6 and 10, let us do good to all people, especially to those who say it. Belong. You didn't say it very loud, so that makes me preach long, so let's back up and do it again, just for your sake. I'm looking after you guys. Let us do good to all people, especially to those who, to the, of believers. Every Christian, every Christian is to belong to the family of believers. I'm sure you'd agree this morning that there's a big difference in attending a church service and belonging to a church family. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. Paul is writing a letter to the church at Ephesus. And in Ephesians 2 and 19, look at what Paul says about the church. Look at what Paul says about the bridge. 
Now you are no longer strangers to God. Can I get an amen on that? You are no longer foreigners to heaven. Isn't that good right there? But you are members of God's very own family. Citizens of God's country. And you, what? Belong in God's household with, with every other Christian. Now, back there on the wall, Pastor Andy was pointing at that a while ago back there. That's our vision statement. Belong, commit, grow, and serve. So belong is one of the four words that describes what we believe to be the mission of the bridge. We believe everyone belongs in a church family, even if they haven't believed yet. We believe everyone belongs here at the bridge who is here. Everyone, whether you're a believer or not, you need fellowship. You need connection. You need other people in your life, ultimately. And I'll go ahead and tell you the um, little secret around here is we don't want you just attending our church. We don't want you to just have a sense of belonging here at the bridge. We're trying to get you to Jesus. We want to get you to Jesus. Um, that's no secret. If you've been here for a little while, you already know they love me even though I haven't yet believed. But I understand that they're trying to lead me to Jesus Christ. A person who's seeking answers first encounters Jesus when they see him in us. And the people said, Earlier I said that a hand that is cut off from the body cannot survive. Let me add, let me add, that a hand that is attached to one body this week, can I preach? And another body next week, and another body, and then another body, that hand too is going to die. You must find a place. You must find a body where you are committed to other people. And people who are committed to you. You say, well... I've found some things here at the bridge that don't look like Jesus, really. Is it me? <laughs> I want to tell you that sometimes it is me. You see, we're not pointing you to me. We're not pointing you to somebody else in the church. I'll tell you now, I'm going to fail you. I'll tell you now, if you come here long enough, you're going to see a lot of kinks in our armor. You're going to see a lot of imperfections in us. We're pointing you to Christ. There's no fault in him. We want you to know him. We want you to find him. See, the reason you need to find a body and get in that body and get committed to that body and have other people be committed to you is because you need to be in a place where you can obey the 58 one another's in the New Testament. There are 58 one another's where it says, do this to one another, treat one another this way. You can't do that if you're not in a body. You can't even obey one of those 58 things. I mean, trying to follow Jesus without being part of any specific church or any specific local family or any specific small group is like saying, I want to play the tuba, but I don't want to be in the orchestra. If I announced that we were going to have a tuba concert here at the church, and it was, we were going to lift up the name of the Lord in a time of worship to a tuba. 
I would not be able to make it. I guarantee you I would be sick that night. Because a tuba without an orchestra, it just don't work, does it? You see, trying to be a successful Christian is like saying, and not being in a church, is like saying, I want to play football in the NFL, but I don't want to be any part of a particular team. It's like saying, I want to be an airman in the Air Force, but I don't really want to be committed to one base. Doesn't make any sense. Somebody said a Christian without a church family is like a bee without a hive. Here at the bridge, we believe that you can belong before you believe, but believing without belonging makes you a spiritual orphan. You need to be attached. You need to be connected. And the best way to get connected is not in a crowd of 100 people. It's not in a crowd of 500 people or 1,000 people. But the best way to get connected to somebody who can help you and you can help them is in a small group where there are four or eight or 12. You see, a lot of churches have a biblical message but some of those same churches do not have a biblical structure. If a church does not have a biblical structure, then spiritual growth, numerical growth of that church is going to be very limited. The Bible tells us when you study the early church that the early church in Jerusalem grew to be very, very large, and it grew very, very quickly. As a matter of fact, Bible scholars and archaeologists tell us that it grew from 120 people in that upper room experience to over 100,000 people in 20 to 25 years. I've been here coming on 23, 24 years in, um, in June. Um, sometimes I lose count, so I'm not sure if it's 23 or 24. People ask me how old I am sometimes, I can't remember. Just get me a present. <laughs> In that time, we've grown from 70 to now we're averaging a little over 1,700. Now, if we'd have kept everybody that came through the bridge, we'd have about 17,000. But that was a joke, actually, right there. But we would have a lot more. But, you know, some people who came and left, I was like, I'm, I'm kind of like Brother T.D. Jakes when he said, sometimes I get the gift of goodbye. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? In, in fact, in Acts 20, 21, when Paul returns and addresses the priest about the growth of the early church, you know what he said? He said, you see, brothers, how many myriads have become believers. Myriads, the Greek word there literally means tens of thousands were getting saved, coming to Christ. And what did they do with all these people? How did they structure the church so they could help all these people, so they could meet the needs of all these people? We're going to answer that question today as we, as we study from the Scripture how they cared for them and, and, and how they uh, were led by God uh, to become uh, a church that met the needs of the people, not only in the large crowd, but in the, in the personal life. Look at, let's look at some basic facts about the early church. In the first 300 years of the church, Christianity grew faster than it had ever grown before. Or, or it actually didn't exist before. It grew faster than it has grown since. During that time of great harvest, it was against the law 
Listen to this now. During the time that the church grew faster than it ever has grown in history, it was against the law to be a Christian. During the time that the church enjoyed its biggest growth spurt, it meant that people could be persecuted or even executed for saying they loved Jesus. Another thing is they had no buildings for over 300 years. The very first 300 years, there were no buildings. During the fastest period of growth for the church, they did without two basic things that we think we've got to have or we can't even have church. Number one was freedom to worship. They didn't have it. And not only did they not have freedom to worship, they didn't have any buildings. Not to mention the obvious that they didn't have a copier or a printing press or sound systems or the internet. The media's up there going, hallelujah, God bless them. They didn't have television or radio or satellites or any of the other tools we have today. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the growth of the early church, where they put all those people, and how they cared for them and discipled them. So I want you to, let's go to this next slide, guys. I want you to, I, I just put these scripture references up there. I didn't want to put all the verses, but I'm going to walk through these scripture references, and I want you to listen very carefully. We're kind of teaching a little bit today, but I want to lay a foundation, a biblical foundation, as to why we do church the way we do it here at the bridge. I want you to know that we do study models Chaplain Bay's mentioned Andy Stanley, and of course I've recommended some of his books to you, and we study uh, those models, but I gotta tell you guys, we do what we do because it's in the Bible. We do church the way we do it because it's in the Bible. Let me just show you. In Acts 1, it says there were about 120 believers. Now, it's prior to Pentecost, so we know that they're starting off with about 120 committed people. I mean, Jesus told 500 people to go to the upper room. And 120 went. So we're going to call these 120 the committed Christians. That's how many we're starting with. In Acts 2.41, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. On the opening day of the church, 3,000 people became Christians on the first day. This means that on the first day of the early church's existence, it became a mega church right then. But God wasn't finished. In Acts 2.47, it says the Lord added, this is after that 3,000 now, it says the Lord added to those who were being saved so, he, so, so after we got 3,000 on the first day, God started adding people every day, every single day. Acts 4.4, 4, the number of men grew, the Bible says in Acts 4.4, 4, the number of not people, but the number of what? Men, just men, grew to 5,000. Now let's say every man had a woman. How many would that be? 10,000, Exactly. Now, when you go in the Bible and you see moms and dads having children, they're kind of like Chaplain Bays over here. They've got a bunch of them. And so if you put just one child with every man and woman, that's 15,000 right there. And I don't know anybody in the Bible who ever had one child. So I don't know how many there were. At least 15,000, a minimum. Listen to this. New Christians. Baby Christians. 
Acts 5.14 says, and more and more believed, listen to this word, and a multitude was added. That word multitude comes from the Greek word plethos. What do you think we get from that word? Plethora. That means, we don't use that around Princeton much, the word plethora. It means whole bunch. Amen. In Acts 5.28, the critics of the church said, here's what the critics of the church said. The people who were being critical. They said, you people have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. God, let that be for the bridge. And the people said, amen. And not just the bridge, but let it be for every church that we link arms with and stand shoulder to shoulder. Let us spread the good news, the teachings of the Bible, the teachings of Jesus all around our community. I would to God that the leaders of our community would say, you have filled the land with the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the Bible. How big was the church in Jerusalem? Or how, how big was the church? Well, in 20 years, it was 100,000. Listen to this. How big was the city of Jerusalem? At that time, 250,000. I mean, you got a church of 100,000 in a city of 250,000. That's pretty good right there. That's what you call filling the city with your doctrine and teaching. But Jesus still isn't finished. Because even after Acts 5.28 comes Acts 6.1, where Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, says the number of disciples, what? Rapidly multiplied, increased rapidly. Acts 6 and 7, the number of believers increased rapidly. The same words he used in Acts 6.1, he uses again in Acts 6.7. In Acts 21.20, he says tens of thousands became believers. So the next question is, and I know we've mentioned this already, but the next question is, as we look at this growing church, this early church growing from 50 to 60 to 100,000, what in the world did they do with all these people? What did they do? It is in Acts 5, 42. They met, now y'all think we got you coming to church too much. Look at this. They met, I'm going to make y'all say it out loud, because I know you're scared we're going to get that idea and start having church every day. A lot of y'all do come out here just about every day, don't you? They met, everybody say it. In the what? Temple courts. Everybody say, <laughs> Not the temple court, but the temple courts, and from house to house. They did not meet in the temple. We know they didn't meet in the temple because only the priest was allowed in the temple, and he could only go in there on the day of atonement. So they didn't meet in the temple. They met in the courts. They met in the courts of the temple. And there were multiple courts around the temple, and those courts could easily uh, hold 50,000 people standing because back then, and I know y'all don't want us to get this idea, I know you don't want us to follow every model of the early church because they didn't sit to worship, they stood. They stood the whole time. As a matter of fact, if you go over to many foreign countries today, especially in Africa and, and continents like that, 
Uh, I knew Africa was a continent, by the way. If you go over there, uh, you will find that when they have an evangelistic crusade, the people will come and stand and worship and listen to preaching for hours standing. They were standing then, 50,000 people standing. They didn't sit. With multiple services, they could easily have 100,000 people in the temple courts. So they met in the temple courts. Now, that is a picture of us here today. That's large group worship. I love this time. Do y'all look forward to Sundays? I look forward to Sundays. Um, I love being with you. I, I love walking in here and seeing you and everybody talking, saying hello and connecting with you guys. So I love the temple court. I love that model. But then the Bible says they also met where? House to house. Dual strategy. Dual structure. Look at this strategy of God here. The large group worship and the small group fellowship. It is a biblical strategy. It is pop, proper church structure, not just for then, but also for today. One writer said, when we do it like the New Testament did it, we'll have the results that the New Testament had if a church wants to be biblical, it must have temple courts, that's come and see, and it must have house to house, that's go and tell. Come and see, go and tell. The bridge should be attractional. Now there's a word that if you get on the internet and you put in the word attractional church, you're going to hear a lot of criticism about the attractional church. But the Bible, but all these churches that say you ought not to be attractional, in other words, uh, the lighting that we do here and, and all of that, they, they say that that's putting on a big show. But these churches who don't want attractional and are critical of that, they need to take air conditioning out of their church because really they're putting air conditioning in their church to make people be what? attracted and comfortable in their sanctuary. So if we're going to get real with it, let's get down real with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm an old guy. I know I look 30, but I'm a little older than that. I want to tell you, all I remember when padded pews, come on, Pastor Glenn, shout back there. I remember when they put padded pews in. How many of y'all remember that? How many of y'all, some of y'all old people, remember when they had the, how many of y'all, anybody remember slatted pews? You go home with grill marks on your rear end. <laughs> and then they went from the slats in the pews, glory to God, to, uh, to uh, a smooth wood finish on the pew, and then they went from that to padded pews. Come on, y'all remember that? You know what that is? That's to be attractive. That's to be attractional to the people who come. Why do you paint the walls? Why do you put down carpet? Because you want the church to look nice. You want it to be attractive to the people who come in. So I'd just like to say, and I know there are just millions of them watching online today, if you don't like attractional church, nah. <laughs> the church, the bridge can be attractional and it can be missional. 
A lot of people come to a service like ours or they hear about a service like ours. And, and somebody told me this week that a guy got on Channel One. Y'all know our local gospel channel here? Got on Channel One and just ripped our church apart on there. Never called our name, but he's talking about us. I got to tell you something, man. I got too much trouble with the devil to make another church my enemy. I got too much time battling him to make another church my enemy. Amen. So people see pastor up here in his blue jeans, his shirt tail out, and they go, well, he ain't preaching the truth. You got to have a tie on to preach the truth. You got to have a three-piece suit on, vest. I dress like that. People know there's a funeral that afternoon. <laughs> Let me tell you something. You can be an attractional church to those who don't know Christ, and you can be Christ-centered and Bible-centered and missional. You don't have to be one or the other. Both happen in the large group and in the small group. This is a biblical model in the book of Acts. Look at Acts 2 and 46. Well, we already did. It says they met in the temple courts. That's plural. They met in the temple courts. That's plural. You know what that tells me? That tells me they had multiple locations. The New Testament church had multiple services and multiple locations. I know churches today, I know them very well, who they are packed out, they are packed out in their one service that they offer on Sunday morning. And they have a pastor in their church who has a burden to see the church grow. They will not go to two services. They will not go to two services because they say it will split the church. Can I ask y'all something? Do y'all feel like we have a split church here at the bridge? I don't feel like we have a split church at all. You know, those losers, I mean, those folks come in for the second service, and, you know, we love them too, don't we? Amen? I mean, we're all together in this thing. So I want you to see that they didn't meet in just one temple court, but they met in temple court. Amen. Then the multi-site, so we see the multi-site strategy there, the multi-service strategy, large group, when that broke out, uh, when they broke up from those gatherings, they went to home groups, house to house. And they went there for fellowship and care and discipleship. Look what it says in Romans 16 and 5. Paul writes to the people in Rome, greet the church that meets where? In their home. In their home. Here at the bridge, we meet in the temple courts. We meet house to house. The large group worship happens here at Princeton and at our Goldsboro campus, temple courts, different locations. We also have small group fellowship throughout the community. That's house to house. Right now, we have 52 house to house groups that meet in our church, and uh, we call them life groups. And all of this creates an enormous need for many volunteers, musicians, singers, which is a good thing because it allows more and more people to use their gifts to glorify God. Listen, if we didn't have small groups, if we didn't have small groups in the church, you can only get so many people on a stage to do their gift in two services on Sunday and one service at the bridge on Thursday. And, and so if you've got a, a packed house, you've got a big congregation, you've got a bunch of people sitting out there who never get to use their gift. 
because you just don't have a place. But when you, when you add services, when you add locations, and when you go to the house-to-house ministry, more people get to use their gifts. I believe it is the will of God. The biblical model ensures that our church, any church, when they're set up like this, when the church is set up like this, can always reach more and more people. Now, I want to close with this, and that's all the notes I got, so, and it's in color. Amen? Small group fellowship, I want you to hear me, life groups, and I know a lot of you are not in life groups. I, I know that because, you know, we're not a church of small groups. We're a church with small groups. We have small groups, and we hope you'll get involved. I got to tell you, our goal here, the vision is to be a church of small groups, a church where most of our folks, a vast majority of our folks are in a small group because that's where the strength of the bridge is. The strength of the bridge is in relationships. The strength of the bridge is in circles, is in circles, not rows. And I love the rose, and I love Sunday morning and Thursday night, but that's not where our strength is. You know where our strength is? Our strength is when we leave here and get in little groups to go reach out, to go be a blessing, to go have a church in our community that you got people in your community, people in your family, people you work with, who if you invited them to come here, they are not going to come here. But if you said, hey, man, we're having a Bible study at our church and we'd love for you, at our house, and we'd love for you to come, they will say yes to that. You know how I look at the bridge? We're not a church with two locations. We're a church with 54 locations. Because we got two large church gatherings and we've got 52 small church gatherings. This is the model of Scripture. This is how we continue to reach more people for Christ. Did you know that the very first thing Jesus did after he was baptized, right before he started his earthly ministry, the very first thing he did as a, as a part of his earthly ministry was start a small group. That's the first thing he did. They baptized him, and he right then started choosing disciples who would make up a group of 12. And he would teach them and pour himself into them so that when he was gone, they could then teach and pour themselves and teach people to teach and pour themselves. Because, see, we are not, we are not just wanting to make disciples We're wanting to make disciple makers. God has not just called you to be a disciple. God has called you to make disciples. Now, I'm I'm laying something heavy on you today, and I know it's challenging, but one of the things you'll give an account for and I'll give an account for is not only how many people I led to Christ, but how many people did I lead to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And you're going to give an account for that too. God God wants you to do more than come to church. And if you're winning people to Christ and you're sharing Christ with people, man, that's awesome. But he even wants more than that. 
You say, well, I'm not sure I know how to disciple anybody. I understand that. That's why you need to be in a small group watching somebody disciple people in that small group. And later on, in the, in the rest of my ministry here at this church, let me just tell you what I got from God a couple of weeks ago. I think maybe tomorrow is two weeks ago in my quiet time with God. I got some good stuff from God about the rest of my ministry here at the bridge. And what God, I believe, is calling me to do in the rest of the years that I have here at the bridge is to develop and, and work with the staff and work with you and develop a disciple-making strategy that is not just making disciples, but making disciple-makers. I believe that's what the emphasis of my ministry will be from now to the end. So that when I hand the baton to the next pastor of this church, he will walk into a church that is sensitive to those who don't know Christ, but he will also walk into a church that can take those who, are, who, who uh, walk in seeking and lead them to commit to Christ, who can get them in a group and get them discipled, get them serving, and get them making a disciple. You know, when I hand the baton off one day to somebody, I want to be running full stride, and I want him to be running full stride. I don't want to see this church, when Pastor Farrell, when it's his time to go, I don't want to see this church take a dip. I want to be able to hand it off. So I want to, tell, I want to just go ahead and tell you all something. We are working on a succession plan right now for the bridge. Because when a, when a church knows that a pastor is you know, five, ten years out from retirement, they need to start working on a succession plan right then. How many churches have you seen that when the pastor who was there during the best days of that church's life, when he was gone, that church just went. See, that, I got to tell you something, man. I got to tell you. That's poor leadership. That's poor leadership. If I've done the job as a leader that I ought to do, not only will this church continue, it will excel. It will go to the next level. The next guy who comes behind me will do things as the leader of this church and lead this church into successful ministry in ways I never could do it if we do a succession plan right in this church. So we're working on that. And I'm not about to leave you. You're stuck with me for a pretty good while. But I just want to tell you, thank you, sir. I don't know where you were, but <laughs> God bless you. God bless you. Um, but it's time to start laying the groundwork, getting it done, so that you're going to know who your next pastor is before I leave, a long time before I leave. You're going to know who that person is so that we, you can get acclimated to that person and you can begin to look to that person as your pastor. I mean, we're going to do it right. We're going to do it right. And, and I say all that to say to you that the next major thing that we believe God is calling us to do as your staff is get a solid biblical strategy for making disciple makers. How many of y'all think that's important? You think that's important? Amen. Amen. Now, I think we've been making disciples, but we, I think with more intentionality and a better strategy, with doing it more deliberately, I think we're going to see 
um, the root system of the believers in this church get deep fast. And that's going to cause you to not be looking to receive something as much as you're looking to give something and be a blessing and help others. And when a church gets that mindset, Katie, bar the door. That church is about to explode in maybe not numbers. I think that will be a fruit. I think that will be a, um, uh, one of the things that will happen. But the goal isn't numbers. Let me tell you something. You do church by a biblical model, and numbers are a byproduct. You understand what I'm saying? Growth is just what happens when you do it right. And, and, and uh, not just attendance, but any financial things that we're going to need in the future. If we disciple people, you're going to see the financial giving in this church go up. we got a lot of people in our church who don't tithe who just give a, a little offering every week. And we love you and we appreciate you. But one of the reasons you do that is because you have never been discipled about giving. You're, you're cheating yourself out of a blessing. And we bear responsibility because I don't teach on it enough. We don't teach on it enough in this church. And we're doing you an injustice by not doing that. And, and so discipleship uh, strategy is going to, a better discipleship strategy is going to fix a lot of this stuff. We've got to get ready for the future. We've got to get ready to the future. I'm going to say this, and then I want you to stand. What got us here won't get us to the next place. What got us here won't get us to the next place. How many of y'all know we had to change to get where we are today? <laughs> it's hard for some of y'all. Some of you still don't like it. But we had to change to get where we are today. And you're going to have to be willing to change because, see, if you're not careful, you get, you get happy with how things are now. So you become like the crowd that got mad when you wanted to change. Y'all with me? So don't become like that now. Don't be like that. Don't say, well, I like, you know, I just, you. just say, God, God. Whatever you want us to do differently that's going to cause us to be more obedient to you, then God, lead us. And God, if I run into something that's hard for me to change, work on me. Work on me. I'm not going to sit around and criticize something that's being done different than it was back in the day. I'm just going to say, you know what? You can't put God in a box. God does stuff different ways. Because you're not going to reach the next generation the way you were reached. We're not going to reach the next generation the way you were reached. Things will be different. I know what some of you are thinking. If that music gets any wilder, I'm leaving. <laughs> I'm not talking about that. We've just got to understand that what touched you and what reached you may have to be altered, changed. Not the message, but the what? The method, the method. Amen, amen.